Good morning, everyone. Boy, I'm excited. Are you excited? If you're not excited, maybe you don't know a little bit of piece of news that I've heard about. Jesus is alive. Amen? Amen. Amen. We want to welcome you to church today. Uh, I'm sure we have some folks that are visiting with us for the very first time. We're glad that you've chosen to be with us. Um, maybe you received an invite from a neighbor or a friend. Uh, maybe you had one of those little door hangers. Uh, we had many of our folks out in the community this week uh, hanging door hanger invites, and maybe you got one of those, and you chose to come today. And uh, I know it's a brave thing to do, so thank you for doing that. Uh, if so, you're here. We welcome you. We're glad you're here. Uh, let me go ahead and invite you to come back next week. Uh, I'm going to begin a brand new series of messages next week from 1 Thessalonians uh, that we're calling Standing Firm. Uh, you know, our culture is going through some kind of upheaval these days. And uh, we're, we're seeing, you know, what used to be right is now deemed wrong, and what used to be wrong is, is now right in the eyes of some. Um, if you have long-held beliefs uh, that stretch back a long time, that, that may be a suspect perspective. Um, but we believe that our faith is an ancient faith, uh, that our faith stretches back to the beginning of time, that we should not give it up lightly. In fact, I'm here to tell you, the rest of you can give up on it. I'm never going to give up on it. I'm going to hold strong to that faith. Uh, but we should not f uh, feel the pressure uh, to give up our faith, but the culture is pushing against us. And so over the next few months, I want to encourage you from 1 Thessalonians and challenge you to stand firm no matter what pressure you may face from the culture. Uh, so I encourage you to come back. We're going to begin that, start with us from the very beginning in that series. Now today we're going to, com to complete and wrap up our emphasis on Holy Week. Uh, we began this last year. Uh, we've done it again. I promise you it's going to occur next year. We're going to walk through and have been walking through and reflecting upon the last week of Jesus on this earth before he died, was buried, and came back to life. And uh, it, our journey, uh, just as Jesus' journey began on a Sunday, we started last Sunday on Palm Sunday, and we looked at the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, and he came in as king. And uh, then in day, daily devotions, we've been thinking about the day-by-day -day journey of Jesus into Jerusalem and the encounters that he has had. On Thursday, our church gathered in our fellowship center, and we had a meal together on Holy Thursday. And we also shared the Lord's table together. We shared the Lord's supper together, uh, reflected upon the heavy weight that Jesus had upon him as he was moving in to, uh, out of Thursday into Friday on the day that he would die and all of the things that he knew that he faced. And then on Friday night, our church gathered again for a Good Friday service, a time of worship. And uh, we traced the steps of Jesus uh, from the Garden of Gethsemane as he was betrayed and arrested and uh, how he was then taken and put before uh, a number of trials. He was falsely accused and tried. Uh, we noticed that his disciples had abandoned him and fled into the, to the night. Uh, Jesus was brutally beaten and then he was unjustly executed on a cross between two thieves. And we also talked about how he was buried in a borrowed tomb. Well, today is Easter. And uh, as heavy as the week had, had become at the end of the week, uh, now that we've come out of Saturday where Jesus low in the grave he lay, we are now in this moment where we get to celebrate the truth that Jesus did not stay in the grave. He came back to life. 
And listen, I, you know, we've been looking at this and thinking about all of this as passive observers. You know, we didn't live in the days of Jesus. We weren't uh, compatriots of him. We weren't his disciples. Uh, we, we didn't spend time with him in the flesh. We weren't there. We, we didn't have the same kind of skin in the game, at least not as those who were his disciples in that day, his followers. And I've been thinking as I was coming to this moment, what would it have been like to have been one of Jesus' disciples in those days? You know, to have spent so much time with him and you were so excited uh, as uh, he entered in Jerusalem. In fact, you would have experienced incredible highs. Imagine what it would have been like to have been behind Jesus as he's coming in on the donkey and people are waving the palm branches and throwing their cloaks upon the road, receiving him as a triumphant king and all the hopes that you had that the people of Jerusalem were going to receive Jesus as you had received him. Imagine the encouragement if you had been a part of Jesus' inner circle, one of his 12, and Jesus had washed your feet and you'd shared a meal with him and he... Uh, began to teach you some things, some powerful things. He taught a lot of things throughout his lifetime in ministry, and you heard so many, but some of the most profound things that you had ever heard was when you gathered with him uh, with your, the other close band of brothers and heard him in that upper room. And then to hear him and to have him pray what is now known as that high priestly prayer upon you. Imagine the encouragement, but also imagine the lows. Seeing Jesus arrested, fleeing for your very life into the night, then discovering Jesus was sentenced to die by crucifixion and hearing about all the things that had happened to him, how he was brutalized by a scourging and that he was hung up between two thieves and he died as a criminal, dying a criminal's death. Then imagine how you would have felt that all your hopes all the dreams. I mean, you really believed Jesus was the Son of God, the, the, the prom promised Messiah. You believed it. You believed it all. You thought He was going to deliver Jerusalem, deliver Israel. You took all of that in, and now all of it has been dashed upon His death. And it appears to be over. If you consider all that they had seen and heard through their days with Jesus, how they had heard about His miraculous birth, how he had called them out of their professions to follow him, how they listened to some of the greatest teaching they'd ever heard, and how they saw him successfully challenging the religious leaders of the day, some of the most learned people uh, that they had ever known, and Jesus was putting them in, the, in their place. And to watch him perform miracle after miracle after miracle, and some of them even saw his transfiguration. They truly believed him to be the Messiah. And then this happened. He died. He was dead. It was all over and they were beginning to give up. But you know, then the narrative began to shift. News began to circulate. Eyewitnesses began to give reports that the, stu that, that the stone in front of Jesus' tomb had rolled away, uh, that his body was gone, that if you went into the tomb, that the tomb was empty. Some even had claimed to have seen Jesus alive, but not you. You've yet to confirm this yourself, if you hadn't seen it, would you have believed it? If you hadn't laid eyes upon Jesus, would you have believed that Jesus had truly been resurrected? Today we're going to encounter the story of a couple of individuals, a couple of believers in Jesus' day, who didn't quite believe at first. But they happened to encounter the resurrected Christ. It took them a bit, 
but they have finally came to see it. You may be here today, and this may be the very first time you've ever darkened the doors of a church like this. Maybe you've heard the name of Jesus, but you've not really heard his story much. Or maybe you have heard his story. You've heard the, 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 that the theology of our church is that Jesus died for the sins of the world, that he was buried and that he came back to life. But you're a, a rational person, you think, and you're not quite sure you can believe that someone that has died could come back to life. I challenge you as you follow along in our story today that you open your heart and ask the Lord to speak to you and to reveal himself to you, to show himself to be true based upon his death, burial, and resurrection. We're in Luke chapter 24 today. Luke chapter 24, it's a lengthy passage of scripture that I'm going to read, but I want to read it all because it helps you to see the broader story. I won't touch every verse in this passage but it'll help you to, to see it and hear it read all at once. So Luke chapter 24, verse 13. If you have a copy of God's Word, I encourage you to open it up. If not, we're going to provide this on the screen behind me. Um, but I'm going to encourage you to stand with me. Would you do this, all of us standing in the room? We're doing this as a recognition that this is God's holy Word, that we can trust it through and through, that God has given us His Word to reveal Himself to us. Verse 13 of Luke chapter 24. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all of these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. And then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one, the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see. And He said to them, O foolish ones. And slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And so they drew near to the village which they were going, to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us. For it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So we went to in to stay with them. And when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he was open to us uh, to the Scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, 
The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Pray with me. Oh Lord, that we would believe. Lord, our very faith hangs on the truth that you died and you were buried, but also that you came back to life. Lord, if you did not come back to life, then what we believe is a falsehood. But oh Lord, if you did, oh Lord, then everything has changed. Everything. I pray, Lord, that we would truly believe that you are the resurrected God. Encourage us, I pray. We ask it in the name of Christ. Amen. Let me go ahead and have a seat. <clears throat> I want you to imagine if I had begun this message a little differently, and maybe I, I started like this. Once upon a time, in a land far, far away, there was a man by the name of Jesus. He had a magical beginning and a magical ending. He was born into this world without having a real father. He was born into a poor family but lived a happy life. When he was older, he turned into a great leader and many followed him. But there were some who were threatened by Jesus. They conspired to have him arrested and killed. His many followers were sad. But something magical happened three days after he died. He suddenly and magically came back to life. He appeared alive to many of his followers and they all lived happily ever after the end. If I had begun that way and you were a passionate follower of Jesus Christ, if I had presented the, the, the resurrection an event like that, it should be offensive to you. Fortunately, I didn't do that. Amen? But listen, the resurrection is far more than a story. It's not some, something legendary. It's not a fairy tale. It was real. It was a fact. In fact, it is, one of the most, it is the most significant event in human history. But the sad reality is that for many of us, the resurrection is not much more than a story. And by many of us, I'm talking about Christians. We, we say we believe it, we say it's in the Scriptures, but our, our lives are not quite as changed by it as we act, uh, ought to be. I mean, we talk about it, we tell about it this time of year, but it's not really a, a reality that we have experienced. I mean, we love the Easter experience, of course. We love putting on our Sunday best we like dressing up with the fam and ga- gathering together and sitting together as a family and singing about the empty tomb. But by Monday, it comes and we're over it. We're past it. For some of us, we're over it by the time we reach the restaurant after church. And we soon forget about the resurrection and, and forget that it's something that we ought to celebrate not just on Easter Sunday, but it's something we ought to celebrate every Sunday and we ought to celebrate it every day of our lives. Because the resurrection is the most important aspect of our faith. And encountering it and embracing it and experiencing the resurrected Christ is something that we ought to seek and we ought to seek often. This morning we're following a couple of disciples, a couple of believers from Emmaus, as they're on a walk from Jerusalem to, to Emmaus. And it is the walk of discovery of the resurrection. And they're going to have an opportunity to encounter and to embrace and to experience the resurrected Christ And as they go along, I pray that you'll pay close attention for for perhaps today you too can experience the resurrected Christ as well. Encountering Him, embracing Him, and experiencing Him. 
want you to notice that the Emmaus disciples first had an opportunity to encounter the resurrected Christ. As you look at the text, again, Jesus has died miraculously, not magically, miraculously. By the power of God, he's come back to life. And not just a few people saw him alive after he was dead. Paul tells us that many encountered the resurrected Christ. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 15 in a grand exposition and treatise on the resurrection. Paul makes this statement in verse 3. He says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas and to the twelve. And he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. And then Paul says this, last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared also to me. So Paul gives us the record that more than 500 believers had seen Jesus alive. They had seen the resurrected Christ. Now we've just read about one of the more dramatic encounters of of Jesus's appearances after he had died and come back to life. You have these two believers, they're walking home, they're on their way to Emmaus after that first Easter Sunday, and it's on the road to Emmaus that that this encounter takes place. Look at verse 13. The very day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem. Emmaus doesn't exist anymore. It's sort of been engulfed with the greater area of Jerusalem. We can only guess at its location. Most likely sort of west, northwest of of the old city of Jerusalem, about seven miles out, the Scriptures tell us. And we don't know much about this couple, these two believers. The the, the story doesn't give us much. We're only told the name of one of them, Cleopas. Uh, We're not told the name of the other person, why we don't know. It's possible that this is a husband and wife team. Uh, They do, the two of them, appear to share a home because later in the story, uh, they're going to invite Jesus to stay with them. But what we do know is that these two believers, these two people are certainly followers of Jesus. They're believers, but that their world had been rocked. Why? Well, because as the disciples that were next to Jesus in the garden had fled out into the wilderness, the story had changed, the narrative had changed. What they had hoped to have happened with Jesus, everything fell apart. Their master, Jesus, had been executed. And those that were followers of Jesus in those days, they were in disarray at this time, and you could hardly fault them. All of their hopes, all of their dreams, even their faith disappeared when Jesus' light was extinguished. Something new was afoot. Something different. Word is beginning to spread that Jesus, though he had died, he may not be dead after all. He's no longer dead. Some were even saying that they had seen Jesus alive. Uh, The reports is that that some women had visited Jesus' tomb and had found it empty. Uh, Jesus had even spoken to Mary Magdalene, she said. And he told her report uh, that she, about what she had discovered to the disciples. In fact, if you'll jump up in the same passage of Scripture, but in verse 9 of Luke 24, you'll see this. This is returning from the tomb. They told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. This is their report of seeing the empty tomb. Verse 10, now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But note verse 11. But these words seemed to them to be an idle tale, a fairy tale, and they did not believe them. So no, no one believed them. Only Peter 
came around to believe at that time, but, but he had to go see the tomb himself. Most of them considered that what they were hearing about Jesus being alive, it was nothing but nonsense. And now two of these other believers, they're considering it, non, consider it nonsense. These two from Emmaus, on their way to Emmaus. And so they're talking about it, arguing about it maybe. You'll see in verse 14 that they were talking with each other about all of these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. So here they are, they're discussing, maybe even debating. As they encountered Jesus, this is one of those places in Scripture I, I consider a little humorous, right? They're probably debating back and forth. Maybe the conversation went a little something like this. Cleopas may have said, you know, I, I don't know, maybe Mary Magdalene, she sure did sound convincing. Maybe Jesus did come back to life. And the other says, well, I can tell you right now, there's no such thing as a dead man. I've never seen it before, have you? I've never seen a dead man come back to life. Jesus is dead and he's, he's going to stay dead. And just as he says something like that, Jesus appears, right? Now, he proves then in that moment that the resurrection has happened and they both, both immediately believe, right? Well, not quite. See, that's not what happened. Jesus is not yet ready to reveal himself. We're not told why. Uh, he keeps them from uh, perceiving who he is in this moment for some reason. And you'll notice there in verse 15, Jesus drawing near and went with him. Verse 16 says, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Again, why Jesus has done this, I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. We can only speculate. Whether they recognize it or not, though, the resurrected Christ was with them. The resurrected Christ was revealing himself to them. You'll note that Jesus takes, this, takes the initiative in this encounter. Jesus appears. They're minding their own business. They're going back to their home, making their way back to Emmaus. And it's then that Jesus shows up and reveals himself on his terms. Now perhaps you would like to encounter the resurrected Christ. You need to remember that it always begins with him. Jesus makes himself known to us. He chooses to reveal himself to us. And it would not happen unless he wanted it to happen. But I can tell you, God wants himself made known. And hear my voice. If you were here hearing this gospel, this proclamation of who Jesus is, God wants you to know him. He wants you to encounter him. That's why he's taking the initiative. You may have no idea why you've gathered in this room today. Maybe a friend invited you and you thought, why not? Let me just go to church on, on Easter. Let me just be a part of this one time. But it could very well be the providential hand of God sovereignly moving in your life so that you would hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus taking initiative with you today. Let's look at it again at their initial exchange and you'll see there that Jesus takes the initiative by asking a question there in verse 17. He said to him, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And you'll notice that they stood still looking sad. So they're walking, what is this you're talking about? They stop. Sad. Jesus takes the initiative and asks them what they're debating. And they, they respond by telling of, of Jesus' death. You know, what are you, a visitor? You know, is this your first time around here? Have you not been hearing what's been going on in the city? The great prophet Jesus, who was carrying the word of God, has been condemned uh, by the religious leaders. They, they have had him crucified. But there's also, by the way, some who are claiming that, that he's come back to life. They're not quite sure, of course. 
You can catch their hesitancy there in verse 21. It says, they said, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. And yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things had happened. We had hoped. It's past tense. Past tense. They were saying we were hoping this would be true, but it, but it appears that it isn't true. We were, we were hoping that he was the prophet of God come to deliver us and would deliver Israel, but we're not quite sure anymore. So these disciples are reciting past events as if their hopes weren't going to be realized. What they didn't know was the one that they had hoped in, the one that they had believed in that would deliver them and deliver Israel, the one that they believed had died, was standing right next to them. He wasn't in the past tense. Jesus was in the present tense. He was in the flesh. And that's what encountering the resurrected Christ is like. It's not some past encounter. It's not some past event. It's not some past relationship. An encounter with the resurrected Christ is a present encounter with Him. Remember those uh, WWJD bracelets we used to wear? Remember that? Those are the good old days, right? Remember what that stood for? What would Jesus do? That is, what would Jesus do if He were with us here in this moment? It's an interesting question, but it's really a poor question. The question is not what would Jesus do if he were here. Jesus is present. He is alive. In encountering the resurrected Christ, the real question is, what are you doing, Jesus? And how can I be a part of it? Uh, That you are truly alive. You're not past tense, you're present tense. The resurrected Christ is. He is with us. And you can encounter him today. So they encountered the resurrected Christ. They didn't quite know it yet. Then then came the opportunity to embrace the resurrected Christ. Of course, the disciples from Emmaus, they had trouble embracing the resurrection. In fact, again, consider how low their spirits were. We've already read about it in verse 17 that they stopped walking. They looked discouraged. They've been told of the resurrection. Eyewitnesses had attested to it, but yet they were discouraged. Why? Because they just didn't believe it to be true. They just couldn't bring themselves to embrace it as fact, as truth. So Jesus, what does he do? He he rebukes them. Look on down to verse 25. He says to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And notice verse 27. I'm going to bring this back at the end of the service. So, uh, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus says to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart, that they're slow to the uptake here. They've been, they've been given a heads up that Jesus was alive, and they had also been given a heads up because the prophets kept telling them over and over and over again. They knew the prophets, the prophets had seen his coming. They had proclaimed it and they had missed it all. Of course, the Bible itself has offered plenty of proof about Jesus. And if they had only paid attention, they would have readily embraced the resurrection. You do know that the the resurrection happened and that the resurrection happened is one of the most certain facts of history. A few years ago, the spokesman for the American atheist had entered into a a debate with William Lane Craig, a known Christian apologist. Uh, 
William Craig was a Christian with a PhD in theology. This debate took place in front of 8,000 people. 100 plus radio stations were carrying this event, broadcasting the event. It was during the debate that people were, were beginning to be amazed to find out that Christianity can actually stand up to rational analysis and rugged scrutiny. In, in, in the end, actually, it was no contest in this debate. It's said that among those who had entered the auditorium that evening as avowed atheists, agnostics, or skeptics, that an overwhelming 82% of them had concluded that the case for Christianity had been most compelling. And get this, 47 of them came to faith in Christ that night. Isn't that awesome? Do you know what did not happen that night? Absolutely not one person walked in there as a believer and walked out as an atheist. Not one person. So, so what about the, the debate that was so compelling? What was it that William Lane Craig say that turned so many people to Christ? What was the evidence that he gave specifically about the resurrection? What was compelling was is that he defended the resurrection as common sense. He just laid it out bit by bit. And after looking at all the evidence, the position that made the most sense is not the position that it was a hoax, that people had made it up, that the disciples had stolen the body, that Jesus had never really died, but that he had fainted or swooned and he somehow made his way out of the tomb on his own. No, after looking at all the evidence, the only position that truly made sense is that Jesus Christ is alive. Former skeptic Josh McDowell put it like, puts it like this. He says, after more than 700 hours of studying the subject and thoroughly investigating its foundation, I've come to the conclusion that the resurrection of Christ is either one of the most wicked, vicious, heartless hoaxes ever foisted upon the minds of men, or it is the most fantastic fact of history. And Kenegraph, who's now with the Lord, who was once the head of the Christian Research Institute, wrote this. He said the resurrection is not merely important to the historic Christian faith, he says, without it, there would be no Christianity. It elevates Christianity above all the other world religions. Through the resurrection, Christ demonstrated that he does not stand in a line of peers with Abraham, Buddha, Confucius, or Muhammad. Jesus Christ is utterly unique. He had the power not only to lay down his life, but also to take it up again. Friend, I could go at length and give you proof after proof after proof. Take some time this afternoon. If you're doubting the resurrection, just Google it a little bit. There'll be plenty of evidence for you. Just know this, that the fact of the resurrection is beyond question. The question for you, though, is, do you believe it? Do you embrace it? Let us not be unwise and slow to believe, but instead embrace the resurrected Christ. Those disciples didn't at first. They encountered him. They had not yet embraced him, but the final opportunity that came to them was to experience, to experience the resurrected Christ. If you look at the end of the encounter there in verse 28 and what follows, you'll see a couple of clues that, uh, the, the, to experiencing the resurrected Christ that are given here. The first is this, friend, if you want to experience the resurrected Christ, my first challenge to you is to seek him, seek to spend time with him. Notice verse 28, 29, it says that they drew near to the village to which they were going. And I love this, how the ESV uh, puts this, this translation said, he acted as if he were going farther. Jesus knew he wasn't going farther. He acted it 
But verse 29 says, But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. And so he went in to stay with them. So Jesus appears like he's going to go a little bit further, but they, they are urging him, No, no, why don't you come in and spend some time with us? They did not yet know it, but they were seeking the resurrected Christ. It appears that if they hadn't made time for him, perhaps he would have kept on going. You see, Jesus had taken the initiative to reveal himself to them, but, but he's given them an opportunity. He's given them the place to press in toward him, encouraging them to say, please come in. It's late. Don't go on. Won't you eat with us? And it wasn't until they sat down with him and as they were breaking bread that their eyes were open. Why this was in that moment that they finally got it? Maybe they had heard the, the other disciples, the 12, talk about, the 11 talking about how they had spent that last night with Jesus before he had died and how he had broke the bread and instituted the, the Lord's Supper and, and had blessed it and that was still fresh on their mind. And so when Jesus then took this bread, though they didn't know yet he was Jesus, took bread and broke it, it was then that their eyes were opened. They had their aha moment and they knew who it was. They had finally, finally experienced the resurrected Jesus. You know what they did? Jesus disappears, by the way. It's interesting that in the, in the resurrection stories that he often comes and goes just like that, right? He disappears, and what do they do? They run back that very night to Jerusalem to tell the rest, to tell the eleven. Here's my encouragement to you. If, if you want to experience the resurrected Christ, you need to seek Him and continually seek Him and seek to spend time with Him. Jesus would tell us in the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Sometimes we think that this verse is for the unbeliever and that Jesus is knocking on the door of the unbeliever. The truth is, is that this word, this verse that Jesus speaks in Revelation 3 was spoken to Christians. And so as Jesus was speaking to these two disciples from Emmaus, remember they are believers. And I say this to you, Christian if you want to experience the resurrected Christ, make it your habit to seek after Jesus. To, to spend time with Him. He stands at the door of your heart and He knocks. You need to hear His voice. If you hear His voice, open the door. Jesus wants to spend time with you. He's there at the door. But you need to seek Him and urge Him to come in. Maybe that means taking some time every single day saying, Lord, I, we just need some time to, with one another today. Lord, I've got a lot going on. There's a lot of people I'm going to spend time with today, but I'm urging you to come in and spend time with me because if we don't, perhaps he'll just go on and we'll not experience the resurrected Christ as we've been called to. The second clue to experiencing the risen Christ is there in verse 32. Verse 32 says, They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while He talked to us on the road, while He opened to us the Scriptures? This tells me, that Christian, that if you seek Him, expect Jesus to reveal Himself to you. Expect Him to respond in kind. When Jesus spoke to them on the road, the, the, their, their hearts were ablaze within them. The problem was they just weren't expecting Jesus. They weren't seeking Him. At first, they didn't really experience the resurrected Christ as they could. So Christian, if you want to experience the resurrected Christ, be sensitive to His presence. Seek Him and have a sense of urgency and expectancy that He will reveal Himself to you. Expect the unexpected. 
Psychologists are telling us now that we don't believe what we see. Instead, we see what we believe. Right? And that's how the mind works. We, we see what we expect to see. My challenge to you is to expect to see Jesus. Expect to encounter Him. Expect Him to reveal Himself to you. And guess what? He's going to reveal Himself to you. You'll, you'll come to know Him and grow in Him and be more like Him, for He is truly there. Jesus told the two believers what their problem was. The problem was in their hearts. It wasn't their understanding. The, 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 the problem, and that's the problem with most of us, we have no problem with understanding we have no problem with encountering the risen Christ, accepting Him as Lord and Savior. We have no problem embracing the risen Christ, accepting the fact of the resurrection. Our problem is our hearts. We're slow to believe and keep on believing what we already know to be true. That's why we get over the resurrection. So we're all on our own little Emmaus walks. We're all on this journey of life, of discipleship in Christ, or at least we should be. So what, how are you and what are you discovering in this walk? Have you encountered the resurrected Christ? Have you embraced Him? Have you experienced a resurrected Christ? My, my, my encouragement to you today is that it's still possible to do so. Jesus is giving you the opportunity today. Now, I want to be very clear that this encounter was between Jesus and a couple of believers, but I, I want to offer this to you. It's possible for anyone here today to encounter and embrace and experience a resurrected Christ, but you have to believe in Jesus to do so. You have to believe in Jesus and what He has done for you. What is it that Jesus has done for you? Well, Jesus tells us that the whole Bible, the whole Bible is the story about His life. In fact, if you look back in verse 27 one more time, in the middle of this conversation between the, the, the disciples from Emmaus and Jesus, Jesus makes this statement, or we, we learn this statement about Jesus. He says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. That phrase, Moses and all the prophets, is a reference, the, the, the reference to Moses, that's the first five books of the Bible known as the Pentateuch. And all the prophets, that, that's the rest of the known Bible in Jesus' day. Remember that the Gospels and the, the New Testament had not been written. But what was known as the Holy Scriptures in Jesus' day, Jesus took the first five books of the Bible from Genesis and works His way to the end. And begins to tell them about Himself. In other words, the Bible is the story about Jesus. It's his story. If you want to know the things about Jesus and what he is about and why he has come, the Bible tells us. And here's what the Bible ultimately tells us. When he started with Moses, he started at the very beginning where the Bible says, in the beginning, God. And it's a reminder that we have been created by God. and All that exists has been created by God. And when you read the first couple of chapters of the, book of the uh, books of the Bible, you recognize that human beings are a special creation. They've been created by God, to know God, to be known by Him, to have fellowship with Him. And if you've ever wondered what life is about, life is not about having a good job and having a sweet family and, and having the good life in this world. If you have those things, God bless you. But that's not the purpose of your life. Your life, the reason why you have been created is to know God and to be known by God. 
But Jesus, in his telling of the Scriptures, starting with Moses, I'm sure he got to chapter 3 of the book of Genesis. And began to talk about how even though Adam and Eve, the first of us, who were created in God's image, the highest, the apex of God's creation, how they knew God and had, an, had a relationship with God, chapter 3 of the book of Genesis tells us that they disobeyed God. And in the moment that they disobeyed God, the curse of God fell upon them because of their sin. And whereas they once were able to know God and be known by Him and to worship Him and to fulfill their purpose in life, their sin blew all of that apart. And they were cast out of the Garden of Eden, out of paradise, out of God's presence, because God is a holy God. And He, he, he finds sin detestable. And his, his holiness burns with wrath against unrighteousness. And in that moment, Adam and Eve were separated from God, but also all of humanity from that moment forward, which means even you and even I have been separated from God naturally. We are born with sin. We are born with the condition of sin. It's a part of who we are. And because of that, we are born separated from God from the very beginning. And if that isn't bad enough that we don't know God naturally, what's even worse is that there is nothing that you or I can do to fix that problem. Part of what Jesus may have shared with the Emmaus disciples when he talks about our righteousness, the good things that we attempt to do, the book of Isaiah tells us that our righteousness is like filthy rags before a holy God. And so by the time Jesus gets up to his part of the story and how he had talked about the prophets throughout history, throughout the Old Testament history, began to prophesy that even though they, they were stuck, they, the, the people were stuck, they couldn't fix their sin problem, that God would send a rescuer. He would send a redeemer. Jesus probably shared prophecy after prophecy. And as he's sharing, they're probably beginning to, to connect the dots. That Jesus was and is the Messiah. They didn't yet figure out that he was the Messiah. But as he is sharing all of this with him, he ultimately comes to point to himself as the Lamb of God, as the one who could do what we could not do for ourselves, what the Emmaus disciples could not do for themselves. He could pay the penalty, pay the price for their sin for ours by going to the cross and laying down his life to pay the penalty of our sin. And What they did not realize until the end of this story was even though Jesus died and was buried, he came back to life. Those rumors that they had heard about Jesus not being in the grave, that the grave was empty, those rumors turned out to be true. And not only were they true, it was the ultimate proof that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was who he said he was, and that he came to do what he said that he came to do, that he came to die for our sins as the God in flesh, Jesus. But... In order for you and I to receive the sacrificial work of Jesus on the cross, to receive the forgiveness that His death on the cross provides, you and I must believe in Him. We must trust in Him. We must confess Him as Lord and Savior and turn from our sins and turn to Him. I love Easter. I, I love to talk about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ if for no other reason, it's for this. This world stinks. It's bad sometimes. People that I love die. 
People that I care about get hurt. There are times that I, that I deal with stress and anxiety. You may do the same. And I, I feel the, the struggle of this world. But then the, 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 this little light begins to reveal itself in my heart yet again. The Spirit of God reminding me yet again that what I'm experiencing in this life is not the end. The book of 1 Corinthians tells us, again, uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, an incredible treatise by Paul about the, about the resurrection of Jesus and why it is important. And he reminds us there that the resurrection matters, that it is victory for us. And that because of that, we know that no matter what we face in this life, that when we die, it is not over. And that Jesus' death and His burial and His resurrection, especially His resurrection, is the first fruit of a host of resurrections that will come. And that those who have trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, though they may die, they will live again. I don't know what you're wrestling with. I don't know what your outlook in life is. And I don't know how tough you've got it these days. But I do know that there is life after this life. It doesn't take away all the pain and the struggle and the separation that we may experience in this world when we lose a loved one. You may be going through a terminal illness right now, and I'm sorry for that. You may have suffered deeply. You may have had a loved one taken from you suddenly but you need to know that though you may have this pain in your heart the bible tells us that in the life that is to come in heaven and heaven is the place we go jesus makes this promise that he's gone to prepare a place for us and if he's gone to prepare a place for us it means that he's going to come again and receive us to himself that where he is there we will be also and where he is also, the book of Revelation tells us, there is no death there, there is no sorrow there, there is no crying there, and that he will wipe away all of our tears. Friend, that hope and that truth is only available to those who believe in the resurrected Christ and have found forgiveness in him and in him alone. So my encouragement to you today is this. Believe. Believe in, in a, a most indisputable act, Jesus died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried. But praise God. He has come back to life. Would you pray with me? Lord, my, my hope, my prayer today on this Easter Sunday is that my brothers and sisters in Christ will be encouraged to encounter yet again to embrace yet again and to experience yet again the resurrected Christ. The Lord, when we leave this service and we go off into the day and we go to our restaurant, we go to sleep tonight, we get up tomorrow, that we will not have forgotten that we've encountered a man who once died who came back to life. Not just a man, but the God-man Jesus. And Lord, if you have died and come back to life, then that changes everything. So Lord, let us live as if we have had everything changed. Lord, I also pray for the many, I believe, that could be even in this room today. Maybe their names are on a church roll somewhere. I don't know. And they may say they believe, but they've never really encountered you. They've never really trusted you for the forgiveness of their sins. There's not been a moment 
Well, they've said, Jesus, I believe in you. Forgive me of my sins. I turn from my way of living and I turn to you. They've yet to surrender their all to you. And Lord, if that is the case, then they have yet to encounter, embrace, and experience the resurrected Christ. So Lord, I pray today that just as you revealed yourself and made yourself known and took the initiative, Lord, to make yourself known to those Emmaus disciples on the road from Jerusalem, that even now you make yourself known to those that do not yet know you. Lord, in the depths of their heart, just as you caused their hearts to burn, the Emmaus disciples, you caused their hearts to burn when you spoke. Lord, I pray even as I'm praying this prayer, you begin to cause the hearts of those who are listening to my voice to burn, that they may see it and know it as the convicting work of the Spirit of God in their heart and life. Lord, call them to repentance. Call them to believe, I pray. With these words I pray, in Jesus' name I pray it. Amen.